0: Today on Catholic Baltimore, we will talk with two Vatican experts to get their take
1: on Pope Francis' upcoming meeting with the heads of bishops' conferences from around the world that will take place at the Vatican February 21st through the 24th. We'll talk with Father Tom Rosica of Salt and Light TV in Canada and Cindy Wooden of Catholic News Service in Rome.
2: This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is Father Tom Rosica, to talk about Pope Francis's upcoming meeting with bishops from around the world to discuss sexual abuse of minors by clergy and the Church's response to this scandal. Father Rosica is a priest of the Congregation of St. Basil and is the founding chief executive officer of Salt and Light TV, Canada's first Catholic TV network. He's a respected biblical scholar, lecturer, speaker, retreat preacher, and author. And with his fluency in several languages, he has assisted the Vatican Communications Office with media relations at major events such as Synods of Bishops and the Papal Transition after Pope Benedict resigned in 2013. Welcome to the show, Father Tom. Thanks very much, Chris. It's good to be with you. You'll be in Rome for that special meeting that Pope Francis has called for the Presidents of Bishops' Conferences from around the world, February 21st to the 24th. What makes this meeting so unusual? It's an extremely important
3: meeting. First of all, it's not often that the Pope calls together the heads of all Episcopal conferences. There are, of course, synods or extraordinary synods or regional synods, but this is a meeting, a command performance, if you will, on a very specific burning issue in the Church, which is the whole question of the protection of minors. The reason why it's garnered so much interest is the events of the past months in particular have all been revolving around this tragic event, this, this series of events that have taken place. This is not a meeting called uh, uh, bishops of the world to discuss problems in the United States or in Chile or in other parts. This is to emphasize, to stress, that the protection of minors and the abuse crisis has swept across the face of the earth. And one of the reasons why the Pope has called the leaders together is to make sure that the question of the protection of minors is now highest on the priorities of every bishops' conference in the world so that creative and positive and forward-looking and proactive measures may be taken, like the ones that your bishop, your archbishop, has taken in Baltimore and several other bishops in North America. What is the hope of this meeting? First of all, the hope is that the priority really has the highest level of priority for every bishops' conference of the world. I can only imagine that the question of transparency, of accountability, will also be raised at this meeting. What's very interesting is what I've been told, that the presenters at the meetings will be experts in the area of the protection of minors in the whole abuse crisis question, as well as listening to some of those who have have been hurt, victims, survivors of the abuse crisis, and how they work through this, what the Church did to assist and what the Church did not do to assist them. Mm
2: -hmm. That is my hope
3: for the meeting. I will be on the inside in a communications team working to make sure that the message gets out.
2: That's very helpful. Do you think this will help Pope Francis show the bishops in attendance and really people watching all around the world that the Catholic Church takes very seriously the sexual abuse of children and the the protection of children moving forward?
3: Absolutely. This is a very clear signal. It's a shout across the bow for those who say that the Church or the Pope has not done enough. This is the world Church coming together to take affirmative action to acknowledge the crisis and to say this is what we're going to do as we go forward this is not simply digging up all of the stories of the past which continue to come to us drip drip every day but it's saying this is what has happened this is what we know has happened these are some of the causes of this crisis and this is how we must avoid this and eradicate it from the future
2: at the u.s bishop's meeting in november they heard from a number of people who were victims of clergy sexual abuse and those testimonies i think were very powerful and very much convinced the bishops if they didn't know already that this was an urgent matter do you think the same thing is going to come with the similar kind of testimony in rome
3: It can't help but it happened in that way it's listening to live stories to victims to people who have suffered and endured this tragedy that will move people. I've listened to victims. I've accompanied victims. I've been with victims when they spoke to our bishops in Canada, and I realize the very powerful effect that that has. You can read about it all you want. You can read depositions and papers and testimonies, but when you encounter the man or the woman or the young person, that changes the story.
2: In Baltimore, Archbishop William E. Lori requested that the local independent review board be the clearinghouse for any allegations of abuse or misconduct by the bishops in this archdiocese, and if the allegation is actually against the archbishop himself, it goes to the senior suffragan bishop in in the metropolitan area. Can this be a model policy for other dioceses in the U.S., in Canada, around the world?
3: It certainly is an ideal, it's something to be hoped for, whether or not that can happen in different countries depends on the country, the culture, the status, and whatever. One thing is absolutely certain. In this crisis that's emerged, especially as we faced it head-on in North America, the presence of competent laypeople must be on these re- review boards. The review boards cannot be internal, internally looking groups. It must be handled by laypeople and led by laypeople. There must be cooperation and collaboration, obviously, but competent laypeople have to have a voice in all of this process. It's their
2: church. It's our church together. Are there some parts of the world that are addressing this crisis well? Are there bishops' conferences, on the other hand, that don't yet acknowledge the impact of this abuse?
3: I would say in several countries of the developing world, what many call the third world, there have been questions, as we saw the obfuscation that took place in Chile, the corrupt involvement of church leaders, which shows that the idea really hasn't penetrated yet. I think one by one, as the crises happen, as the explosions take place, We will see action and right now this is a world crisis this can no longer be relegated simply to Boston or the United States
2: or wealthy countries what will be your role at the meeting are you going to try to help journalists understand what happens in those daily sessions
3: yes I will be working with journalists on a small team with the prefect for the communications dicastery and others of languages French Spanish German myself as we've done at the previous synods of bishops and then working closely with English, I'll be working with English Catholic media, English media, not Catholic media. Mm-hmm. There might be some Catholics there, but in the past ten days, I've had much to do with uh, English-speaking media from around the world and preparing them, encouraging them to read Father Lombardi's two very important articles in English and La Civita Cattolica,
2: and to read some key texts to help understand the scope of this meeting. So not only do are the bishops preparing for this meeting, but journalists, the media people who are going to be covering this need to prepare for it so they understand the context, right?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm, I'm encouraging people to uh, to be prepared.
2: What's the best possible outcome from this meeting?
3: That the abuse question is now the highest priority in every diocese in the world, in every local church, in every religious congregation, where pastoral ministers are dealing with people that we are deeply concerned and vigilant for the protection of minors and vulnerable people. And number two, that we put in place very serious mechanisms for accountability and transparency of church leaders. So that what has happened, this moral catastrophe will
2: not be repeated. There are some people who say that we can't really get our expectations up too high for this meeting because it's only three days and it's only the you know it's the presidents of the episcopal conferences from around the world. So it's it's not every bishop. What do you say to that? What can we expect from this? And is there enough that can be done in three days?
3: A lot can be done in one day. If it's done properly and the right people speak, it's not the length of days that determines the veracity of the message, but it's going to be the powerful impacting statements and also the fact that the Pope is
2: present for this and the Pope will be speaking throughout the meeting. When you look at the kinds of things that you've covered, uh, that you've helped the, the Vatican communicate over the years, is this a different thing altogether than the kinds of past meetings you've had?
3: Throughout the papal transition period of those eight weeks, six years ago, we had to deal with many of these issues as they surfaced, as the cardinals were preparing to come to Rome and were in Rome. This would be perhaps the most pointed clearly focused. This is a a summit just on the topic of the protection of minors, so it is unique. And so that helps to
2: focus it in a way that hasn't been done before. That's correct. Certainly not on the international stage.
3: No, we've had the, the Pope wrote a letter, Pope Benedict wrote to the Church in Ireland. We saw the beginning of this worldwide impact last summer when Pope Francis released his letter to the people of God on August the 18th, 2018, And so we see a mounting of interest
2: and of of concern for this issue. Well, we appreciate your perspective on this, Father Tom. It's been very helpful, I think, to our listeners. We've been talking with Father Father Tom Rosica of Canada's Salt and Light TV about the upcoming meeting of bishops at the Vatican. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Looking forward to talking to you again. Thanks. This, This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore.
4: Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. As two seminarians took turns carrying the Blessed Sacrament through a crowd of more than 1,000 young people at Mount St. Mary's University February 9th, tears streamed down the cheeks of some as they peered at the consecrated host held aloft in the monstrance. With lights dimmed and a band blaring sacred music, The Solemn Procession was one of the most anticipated moments of Mount 2000, a Eucharistic prayer retreat held February 8th through the 10th on the campus of Mount St. Mary's. The annual gathering was organized by seminarians of Mount St. Mary's Seminary, who also led small group discussions with participants. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Prayer is not just a private and intimate dialogue between a person and God, but an opportunity for Christians to bring the needs of others before the Lord, Pope Francis said. There is no room for individualism in the dialogue with God, the Pope said February 13th. There is no display of one's own problems as if we were the only ones in the world who suffer. There is no prayer raised to God that is not the prayer of a community of brothers and sisters, he said. The Pope highlighted what he called the impressive absence of the word I throughout the text of the Our Father, even though, he said, it is a word that everyone holds in high esteem. The Pope also noted that the prayer's petitions are made on behalf of us, for example, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Christians, he added, must always include the difficulties, sufferings, and struggles of others in their prayers before God. If one isn't aware or doesn't take pity on those less fortunate, the Pope said, then one's heart is made of stone. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matasek.
5: Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV?
6: For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue, just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery, Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770.
0: You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Joining us for
1: this segment of Catholic Baltimore is Cindy Wooden, Rome Bureau Chief for Catholic News Service. And we're talking about Pope Francis's upcoming meeting with bishops from around the world to discuss sexual abuse of minors by clergy and the Church's response. Cindy Wooden has worked at CNS's Rome Bureau since 1989 and has been Bureau Chief since 2015, so she has seen her fair share of papal trips and Vatican meetings. Her office is just a few steps from St. Peter's Square, and you've probably read her byline often in the Catholic Review. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you. Of all the synods and other meetings of bishops you've covered at the Vatican over the years, what makes this meeting different?
7: This meeting is different because it, it has been called to examine one very specific global problem, which is the sexual abuse of minors by clergy. It's only three and a half, four days, but it's brings together bishops and religious from all over the world, and Vatican officials, to focus on that one problem.
1: Will this meeting result in a worldwide policy about clergy, sexual misconduct, or bishop accountability? Can the same standards be applied in every country?
7: The church already has some universal policies written in the Code of Canon Law in 1983, which defines crimes against persons, including crimes against minors, and which, in fact, requires bishops to be accountable and provides penalties, including dismissal, for acts of negligence in their government. The fact is that since the code came out in 1983 the church has become more and more aware that it needs more specific explanations of what constitutes abuse or negligence and how these cases should be handled but this three-day meeting is not expected to lead to some kind of a document or at least not initially the idea is to get bishops from all over the world together to recognize that this is a global problem and that every bishop must be aware of it and take action.
1: And the Code of Canon Law already defines sexual abuse of a minor or a vulnerable person as a grave crime, correct?
7: That was specified in the 2010 document that Pope Benedict Sixteenth issued that listed those as explicit examples of the more serious crimes that could lead to an immediate dismissal from the clerical state.
1: And how has that changed then over time? Was it not considered serious, or is it just that Pope Benedict pointed out very clearly how serious this was?
7: It was the fact of Pope Benedict recognizing that we needed to be very explicit about what types of crime should be handled under those terms.
1: And you talked about the fact that this is a global concern, a global meeting. So this isn't just a problem that's unique to the United States or Ireland or Chile, as we've heard a lot in the, in the news, right?
7: Correct. I mean, the Vatican is well aware that there are a lot of places that, predominantly for cultural reasons, people don't talk about sex abuse, and there haven't been public cases of clerical sex abuse being reported to authorities. And this is the church's attempt to say, this is something that we know happens to varying degrees, but everywhere. And anytime you have a human being involved, (laughs) and A person in a position of power, there is the danger that that position of power and trust
1: can be abused. Yeah, that potential is there. In Baltimore, Archbishop William E. Lurie requested that the local independent review board be the clearinghouse for any allegations of abuse or misconduct by the bishops themselves in the archdiocese. And that includes negligence in the way they handle accusations against priests. Could the Vatican meeting recommend a similar plan for all bishops around the world?
7: The theme of accountability will be the concentration of one full day of the meeting. I think they aren't expected to make a vote on what needs to be done, but I think the discussion will kind of gauge the desire for clear and explicit guidelines on dealing with accusations of negligence and promoting accountability. And so it could well, in the future, in the coming months, lead to something more
1: concrete. And that could be something that the U.S. bishops talk about in when they meet again in June and they start developing some policies that they were asked not to vote on in November, but they may now with this consultation with the Pope and other bishops from around the world be able to present some new kinds of policies or procedures for this?
7: I'm expecting that they will. I mean, one thing that has been clear all along is that even in the countries that began dealing with the abuse problem very publicly and very seriously in the 1990s, It came up again in the early 2000s, and now, like the U.S. bishops, the Canadian bishops and others, are actually revising their guidelines or adding new guidelines as they learn the complexity of the problem, and particularly as they recognize more in-depth how they must respond to victims.
1: Do you think the Pope and the other church leaders at the Vatican understand how critical it is at this point to come up with some kind of solid response to this crisis, and can that happen in just a few days?
7: It depends on what you mean by a solid response. I mean, people who want this meeting to be three days of voting or negotiating, drafting, and voting on specific procedures, I think, will be disappointed. What the Pope is actually hoping for is something that goes much deeper, and that is a change of attitude and a conversion of hearts which would dismantle the whole system of clericalism in the sense of an abusive relationship to the power that comes with ordination and instead see it as service, and a call to uphold the dignity of every single person, children and women included.
1: And to live in accordance with the gospel. Obviously. Will there be victims of sexual abuse who will speak to the bishops at this meeting?
7: There will be some, and there will be they will be playing a videotape with testimonies from victims from countries that aren't known particularly as places where there's a lot of sex abuse. But the point is, in December, the organizing committee asked every president of every bishop's conference to meet with a local survivor. The idea for that and for this videotape is to really get in the hearts and minds of every bishop that this is a problem in his local church and that it's not simply something that happens in the United States, Canada, Australia, Ireland, and Chile.
1: After this meeting, what happens next?
7: What happens next is that the Vatican offices that are most involved in these issues, like the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, for bishops, for clergy, for religious, along with the Pontifical Commission for Child Protection, we will get together and discuss what came out of the meeting. They're already talking about setting up um, regional task forces that can go into local churches and help them develop and improve their guidelines. I would expect that bishops will go home and share the information that they gained in At the Vatican, they'll share that information with other bishops in their conference and begin to either draft or improve on their local norms and
1: guidelines. That would be a helpful thing. Yes. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking with Cindy Wooden, Rome Bureau Chief for Catholic News Service, about the upcoming meeting of bishops at the Vatican. Thanks so much for being with us today, Cindy.
7: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore.